0: Welcome to Sense by Meg Forer, the podcast that's brought to you by Parent Sense, the app that takes guesswork out of parenting. If you're a new parent, then you are in good company. Your host Meg Forer is a well-known OT infant specialist and the author of eight parenting books. Each week we're going to spend time with new mums and dads just like you to chat about the week's wins, the challenges and the questions of the moment. Subscribe to the podcast, download the Parent Sense app, and catch here every week to make the most of that first year of your little one's life. And now, meet your host. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Sense by Meg Fora If this is your first time tuning in, it is so great to have you here. My name is Bailey Georgiadis. I'm a media personality, a podcaster, a proud mom of two little boys. And Meg Forer is our very own parenting and baby expert. Well, you'll often hear parents mutter, why don't these kids come with a manual? Well, this podcast and Meg is as close as you're going to get to having that parenting manual. I love our time together. How are you today, Meg? I am so good. Thanks,
1: Bailey. It's always good to chat with you and to have all the questions come through and to answer those tricky
0: topics that come up in early parenting. Mm -hmm. Well, this is a very hot topic. We're going to get straight into it. I want to talk about the C word. Okay, get your mind out the gutter. The C word being colic. (laughs) So for lots of new parents, colic means lots of hours of crying, pretty much at the same time every day. And you have absolutely no idea why or even how to console your little one. They are screaming. You are panicking. You're feeling a million emotions. It's really frightening, it's frustrating, and it's absolute hell if it goes on for an extended period. And I just want to give the biggest virtual hug right now. If you are going through this, this mm. is horribly, horribly tough. I know so many moms who have visited the PEED or physio or Cairo or something worried that their little one has colic or reflux. Medication doesn't seem to help. So Meg, help us, please. Every new parent out there wants to know why their baby is crying for hours on end And what we can do, if anything, to actually prevent colic in babies.
1: Yeah, so colic is such an interesting thing. And, you know, I can remember like throwback to 24 years ago, almost when my firstborn was born. I'm showing my age now. But Mm -hmm. I can remember that in hospital, um, I wasn't feeding him as regularly as I should. And he ended up crying a lot. And I'll never forget a nurse walking in, holding him in the middle of the night and saying to me, "Mm -mm -mm, This little one is going to have colic. And it was like she told me that he had some sort of like death sentence or syndrome, Mm -hmm. you know. And my heart absolutely lurched and I thought, Oh, goodness me, not colic. So I was absolutely dreading it. But actually, colic really is not something to fear. And it's something that we can really pretty easily actually addresses parents. And I think it's important to start right at the outset um, and talk about the fact that colic is actually a misnomer. And by that, um, I mean that the word colic does not actually describe the condition. So colic, if you look it up in the dictionary, means abdominal discomfort. So that's why a horse actually can get colic. In fact, horses die of colic, but it's, it's really got to do with abdominal discomfort. Now, the reason that early infant crying is called colic is that when a little one is crying like that, you immediately think that they must have a sore tummy or abdominal discomfort because they cry, they go purple in their face. It's also called purple crying. And they pull up their legs and they scrunch into a ball. And you are convinced that this has got to be to do with something with their stomach. And so for many years, all the solutions that were sought and all of the kind of reasons for colic that were given centered around this abdominal discomfort, which actually has led to being called colic, which is actually a misnomer. And um, many years ago, I attended a talk in Cape Town by Dr. Ronald Barr, who's one of the world's experts on, um, he's from Canada, and he's one of the world's experts on colic and shaken baby syndrome actually, which are connected because there's a connection between and that, that's why colic is something we take seriously. And I can remember him saying, it's, you know, it's not the word we should use. We should use unexplained early infant crying. Now you can actually oh. just realize exactly why it's not called unexplained early infant crying. because <laughs> That's a mouthful. So for that reason, colic is stuck. Okay. So is colic not interchangeable
0: with reflux then?
1: No, two totally different conditions. Um, colic, if we look at the definition of colic, it was actually defined by a medical doctor called Vessels and he defined what's called the Vessels rule of threes, which is that colic happens for three hours of a day, more than three days of a week for more than three weeks in a row. And then the fourth three is under three months of age. So it's it's a cl- very classic syndrome that we see. It hasn't got to do with a clinical condition that we see a symptom necessarily for, whereas reflux Obviously, does have. So, reflux is totally different. Reflux is where, and in fact, most babies actually have a degree of reflux, and it's where those little milk curds or those stomach contents after your baby's fed move from the stomach back up into the esophagus through the valve. And it's that. Gastroesophageal valve that kind of doesn't seal very nicely, and it's mm. often a little bit floppy in the early days, and so the milk curds just move back up the esophagus a bit, and then they move back down again, and that's actually what reflux means. Reflux can happen in many different organs in the body. It can actually happen in your kidneys as well. It means that the liquid cool. is going back from you know from from your bladder into your kidneys, and it's, that's not a good condition. But reflux per se is not a challenging, a terribly challenging condition unless it develops into gastroesophageal reflux or unless it is so severe that it is causing aspirations, which is when a baby is actually bringing up reflux of stomach curds and then inhaling them into their lungs and then they get a lung infection. So there are circumstances where reflux is a medical condition that we would want to treat. There are more conditions where reflux is actually not a medical condition. It's really just something that happens and babies can live with. But either way, whether it's that kind of benign and kind of I call them the happy pukers, those babies who kind of just kind of bring up and <laughs> swallow back down or bring it up quite happily. Whether, whether you've got a happy puka or whether or not you've got a reflux a condition, a, a gastroesophageal reflux or reflux that's leading to aspirations and lung infections and so on. Regardless of what type of reflux you have, it is completely different to colic because colic yeah. has got to do just with the symptom of crying. And that's really what it's about as opposed to actually being a medical condition that we are, are concerned about.
0: This episode is brought to us by Parent sense the all-in-one baby and parenting app that help you make the most of your baby's first year. Don't you wish someone would just tell you everything you need to know about caring for your baby? When to feed them, how to wean them, and why they won't sleep? ParentSense app is like having a baby expert on your phone guiding you to parent with confidence. Get a flexible routine, daily tips and advice personalized for you and your little one. Download ParentSense app now from your app store and take the guesswork out of parenting. All right. I think that helps a lot because I think the minute that we see babies sort of curling up, we immediately go, oh, it's their digestive system, it's reflex and people get that so confused. I know that you've mentioned that colic is really common and it affects lots of babies, but why do some babies get it and others don't?
1: Yeah, it is really common. I mean, we, we probably see about 20% of babies suffering from from colic. So, I mean, it's it's like really one in five babies will yeah. have a very high level of crying. It's more than three hours of a day. And the reason that it is so common is that, and and you know, I think for a long time, people just thought, well, it's got to do with an immature gut system. So because we thought it was because well, we call it colic and because it has to do, then we think with the abdomen, abdomen, we then think it must have to do with what's going on in the gut. But the problem with that theory is that it really doesn't explain why colic happens in the evening. And for the 90% of babies, that, that colicky patch, those three hours happened between five and 10 in the evening. So late afternoon, early evening, those three hours are likely to happen. Now, logically, if you think about it, if it is an abdominal discomfort, it would never be centered around one specific period in the day. It couldn't be. It would be across yeah. any hours of the day. The distribution would be three hours, as likely to be three hours at eight o'clock in the morning as eight o'clock in the evening. And it just simply isn't like that. Colic really does happen in the late afternoon, early evening. And that's our clue. That 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 is the clue to tell us why it happens and what lies behind colic. Now, the way that the human brain works is we're taking in sensory information all day, every day through all of our senses. And you and I I've done a fabulous podcast, which people must go back and listen to on the sensory personalities. And anybody who has followed me knows that all my work centers around the sensory systems because they really do impact very heavily on every aspect of development from sleep to feeding, to play, development, stimulation, but also colic, crying. So what happens is, as this baby is taking in all the sensory information all day. Now you've got to remember, these babies are taking in the sensory information from a busy world, in comparison to the womb where they've come from. And so the womb world is calming on every level. Um, it's lulling movement, white noise, muted visuals, um, muted sounds, deep pressure. You know, consistent touch, warm, 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 neutral warmth all the time. So it's got this beautiful, perfect sensory environment, and babies then from there are born into this really, really busy. The hectic sensory world. And what happens is for all of us is that as we take in all of the sensory information through the day, We take it in, take it in, take it in. As we get to the late afternoon, our threshold for sensory information becomes lower and lower. And so we start to become more overstimulated, a little bit more fractious, a little bit more reactionary. And you know, you and I have experienced that. You've got toddlers. I mean, you can deal with a toddler at eight o'clock in the morning and nine o'clock in the morning, but five o'clock in the afternoon, when you're tired, they're tired. It's the end of the day. They've been hanging all over you. And now they come and they hang all over you. They've got sticky paws. They put their their sticky hands in your your face and they squeal and they (laughs) shout. And suddenly, all of that sensory information. Do you have
0: a in my house. How do you know these things? <laughs> and
1: then all that sensory information becomes an insult to our sensory systems. And so we yeah. are really overstimulated. Now, the same thing happens for a new baby, except that their threshold is even lower than ours because they've come Shame. from this calming womb world. They're into this busy world. And so by five o'clock in the afternoon, the newborn baby is reaching the end of their tether, literally, and they start to fuss and cry. And that's how the colic cry starts. And then what happens is as a mother, we get a massive knot in our stomach, a lump in our throat, our hands turn sweaty, our heart starts beating. And we think, shit, I have got to stop this crying because last night it went on for three hours and I can't do that again. Like Mm -hmm. I, I have to solve this. And so what do we do? We quickly change the nappy. We quickly refeed. We quickly change position. We pick them up. We jiggle them up and down. We take them to sit in front of the TV. We walk back down the passage. We change the nappy. We give them a baby massage. We swaddle them. We unswaddle them. We refeed them. We give them another (sighs) dummy. And so you can see what we've done in this frenetic march of trying to stop the crying. We've just added more and more and more to that sensory load. And so what started off as a five minute cry before long is a three hour cry. And that's really (sighs) the nuts and bolts of colic. And
0: you know, as a mom, you're doing the best that you can, but when you break it down so simply like that, you realize quickly, actually, we're just completely overstimulating again. So there is light at the end of the tunnel. How long does colic typically last? So colic is
1: interesting and this crying curve has been defined in research all over the world. It's been done with populations in New York City and Manhattan, it's been done in the Kalahari, it's been done all over the world where we've looked at how do babies cry in the first 3 months of life? And what's quite interesting is that babies classically have a 2 week period of what we call the honeymoon period where they're very calm. And it lasts for about 10 days to two weeks. So any mom who's got a baby who's under two weeks of age and your baby's stretching three hours between sleeps and is so calm and doing so well, and you think you've got it nailed, don't say anything because it can all change at <laughs> 14 weeks. <laughs> don't jinx it. <laughs> <laughs> don't jinx it, yeah. So at about 10 to ten days to 14 days, little ones actually do start to end up fussing and crying a little bit more. And um, all babies do that. That fussing and crying escalates until around six weeks. And this crying curve happens for all babies. Even a calm baby will have their peak of crying, even though their peak of crying is not a lot because they're calm. But the peak of crying happens at six weeks. And at six weeks... Babies start to find another way of communicating, which is smiling, which happens at six weeks. And so from there, colic starts to decrease until three months when colic disappears altogether. And for more than 80% of babies who do have colic, so that's not 80% of babies, that's 80% of babies who have colic, it'll completely disappear at 12 12 to 13 weeks. Um, There's a very small percentage that it continues for a little while longer. And those little ones have what we call infant regulatory disorders and that's a whole nother story it's got nothing to do with colic
0: okay all right so you mentioned that mom goes into a knot and hands start sweating and you start panicking going i can't do another three hours of this what are some strategies that moms and dads can use when they are in the midst of the crying episode
1: yeah so Let's let's take one step back from that and I, I'm going to address the what's happened in the midst of the episode, but let's take one step back and how do we prevent it? And then we'll have a look at exactly how do we address it. So in preventing okay. colic, there are a couple of really good principles. One is if we know it's about overstimulation, the first principle should be decrease the amount of stimulation. So don't worry about growing those brain cells and and stimulating with all sorts of brightly colored mobiles and outings and stimulation with other people and, and voices and whatever, reading to them. Like in the early days, those things just don't take precedence. They really just take the back seat. So less is more is your first principle. The second thing is that one of the best ways to reset our sensory load is with sleep. That's what we need to do. We go to sleep, we defrag, we sort ourselves out, we build up our threshold again and we can deal with more interactions. So regular sleeps in the day, are absolutely fabulous pre- for presenting colic. And that's why the Parent Sense app is so useful because in the Parent Sense app, we have got the routine for the baby that includes the awake times, how long they should be yeah. awake for before they go to sleep. So if you're a mom of a baby under 12 weeks, the best thing you can do is get hold of the app and watch those awake times. And they shorten the early days. Your little one must be going to sleep very regularly. So that's principle number two is regular sleeps. And then principle number three is that sometimes there can be an organic base to colic and crying. It's very unusual. It's probably about 8% of colicky babies. So it's not 8% of babies, but 8% of colicky babies will be for an organic reason. So it could be something that's really a a problem, like um, an infected umbilical cord would cause a baby to cry. So you need to get that checked out. So if your baby's feverish, listless, not feeding well and crying a lot, you do need to get that checked out. The other thing is that sometimes there is a digestive component and that happens for a small percentage of babies who have cow's milk protein allergy. Again, super unusual, but does happen. Um, So you would want to rule that out. And if your baby does have a cow's milk protein allergy, even if you're breastfeeding, you'd want to cut out dairy in your diet. And if you're on formula milk, you'd want to have a non-dairy based formula. And then of course, you've got your lactose intolerance, which is also relatively unusual and certainly pathological lactose intolerance, which is really severe where babies. Are very ill and not gaining weight is very unusual, but that will cause babies to be very unsettled, so should be checked out. And the other thing is that you get lactose intolerance of of early infancy and that's just a new baby doesn't have enough lactase enzyme to break down the lactose in the milk and so they get these frothy poos and and um, kind of bubbly tummies and so for those little ones you might want to space feeds a little bit because if you're overfeeding too much formula milk it can make that worse and then you might just want to just maybe cut out um, Uh, cow's milk again, just because there is extra dairy and then extra lactose, although there's lactose in all all animal milk. So it's not going to make too much of a difference. So those are kind of the organic things. So those are the three things I'd start with. Less is more, regular sleeps, and then rule out the organic. And at that point, you hopefully have prevented as much colic as possible. But now let's say your little one actually does end up in this really colicky patch. What do you do? So the first thing is, again, less is more. Don't overstimulate your baby. So the first thing is just to wait for five minutes. And quite a nice strategy that I like to do is that um, at the last feed of the day, feed in the dark and feed your baby swaddled. Really tightly swaddled. And for those of you who haven't done the Baby Sense course, which is inside the Parent Sense app, so go into your Parent Sense app and click on the Baby Sense course. We go through a lot of detail actually about preventing colic, but also about swaddling. And there's a great video in there that shows you exactly how to swaddle your baby. So swaddling is very good. So swaddle for that last feed of the day. Once you've done that last feed, pop your baby down. And if she or he starts to fuss, sit with them and actually put your hands with deep pressure on your baby, containing them and holding them. And instead of picking them up and fussing with them and doing something with them, comfort them while they're lying down. And so what you're doing there is you're giving them your comfort, you're giving them your emotional connection, but you're not doing all the fussing and the moving and the picking up and the readjustment of postures and so on. So that's your first thing that you'll do. Of course course, if that's five to 10 minutes has passed and your little one is still really, really niggly, then pick them up. And then I recommend at the end of the day, a cluster feed. So that is just one extra feed. So you've done a full feed, you do another feed and then also do it swaddled. And then the same story, lay your baby down really tightly swaddled, see whether or not they'll settle again that way. And that often is just enough to get them through it. And then they actually settle and they go to sleep for the evening. If your little one is very, very irritable at that point, I do recommend popping them into a carrier and the carrier I like is the snuggle Roo carrier and popping them into the carrier is actually fabulous because it just gives them like a womb space where you're not fussing with them. You're not moving them. You're not stimulating them. They're in this womb environment and they can just fall asleep against the comfort of your body. And that kind of three-step process of, you know, kind of settling and then a cluster feed and then into a carrier is often enough to short circuit the early evening colic.
0: That is fantastic. Thank you so, so much. If you enjoy my podcast, I would like to share one of my favorite podcasts with you, The
1: Honest Hour. Christina Masaryk is mom to two boys and a third little boy on the way. She's an American expat living in Cape Town, South Africa, since 2008, and decided to start sharing her experiences in parenting since 2017. Having grown up in a dysfunctional family environment in her own childhood, which led to her adoption at the age of 10, Christina is passionate about finding purpose and presence in parenting, as well as exploring our own opportunity for healing and personal growth as we navigate the world of parenting our own children. Christina believes in ending the trauma cycle and that in parenting our own children, we can learn how to reparent ourselves. So pop on over to Christina's podcast, The Honest
0: Hour. Now, I honestly believe that as new parents... Sometimes we simply can't accept colic for what it is, and we do seek out medical help. And like you said, you've also got that organic situation, but when should we be concerned and see a doctor? Because, you know, as mothers, we often flip-flop between, oh, I don't want to be that mom who's always phoning the pediatrician every three seconds, and then at the same time going, oh gosh, I should have phoned the pediatrician sooner. Mm -hmm. When do we actually seek medical advice?
1: So I think first of all, if there's a dramatic shift in your baby's behavior, you should seek medical advice. So if your baby's been really happy and chilled and is 10 weeks old, and then suddenly starts with like what you think might be colic of like these periods of extended crying, that's an example of, yeah, go and see your doctor because... It's unusual. It's not typical to your baby, and mm. maybe that you should go and check out what what's going on with your doctor. Of course, if it happens in two weeks, then it could just be that shift into being a little bit more alert and and a little bit irritable and colicky. But if there's a big shift, that's the first thing. The second thing is, if your baby's not feeding, you've got to see a doctor. That's important. If your baby's not feeding, it's a sure sign that something's going down, and. You know, that's usually accompanied by listlessness, maybe too much sleeping as well, can be some crying. So, you know, in those sort of circumstances, and then if there are any other symptoms accompanying the crying, so high fever or uh, diarrhea and vomiting, for instance, those are the type of things that you, or like a red umbilical cord, those are the type of things that you would want to go and check out with your doctor. So there certainly are the things that you want to go and check out. But by far the majority of early infant crying is actually benign and doesn't need to be seen by a doctor.
0: Okay. You talked about colic typically happening in the evening. So you mentioned, you know, possibly doing a cluster feed. What is the perfect afternoon routine for a six-week-old baby to prevent the likelihood of colic?
1: Yeah. So for a six-week-old baby, you're going to be looking at about 45 minutes to an hour closer to an hour of awake time. So you're going to bear that at the back of your mind. Again, at all times, you can go and look at this on the app. The awake times are on the home page of the app and you can just quickly pop in and see how long your baby's um, awake time should be. So you're going to really not extend past an hour. And that means that what I like to do, and one, in one of our previous podcasts, Bailey, you and I spoke about setting up a routine for a baby. And at six weeks old, you can start to guide them towards a sleep routine. So what I like to do is I like to have a bedtime cast in stone for a six week old. So that would be about 6 p.m. in the evenings can be a little earlier, can be a little later, but around about 6 p.m. So I know that now my baby's going to go down at 6 p.m. So I need to work backwards and I've got to um, subtract their awake time, which would be an hour. So I know that their last sleep of the day, they need to be awake by about 5 p.m. And so that's what you're working towards. So you then end up with a really nice routine for your baby awake by 5 p.m. So they'll have a last afternoon sleep, which might be a short sleep or it could be quite a long sleep. It doesn't matter, but awake by approximately five. I would then with a six-week-old baby um, be having a little bath time. If your little one is very colicky, we often move bath times to the mornings. So we don't actually bath in the Mm. evening because remember we spoke about that overstimulation. So if they are overstimulated and are colicky, don't do the bath time. If they are a calm baby, you would then do your bath time. And then that is followed by a feed. Now, Bailey, I breastfed and I was a really slow (laughs) breastfeeder. It would take me 40 minutes to feed my little ones their breastfeed. So especially at six weeks. So 20 minutes on one side, Change of nappy, and then onto the other side for ten to fifteen minutes, and that is literally when you think about it, an entire wake time. A bath that you know that everything could be fitted in there. So you're literally going to do a little bath. You're then going to feed, and with a six week old, sometimes they're so hungry at in the evening that they might actually want half a feed before bath. So then I would feed on one side, bath my baby, and then feed after the bath on both sides. And then you do that feed. And then the second side of that feed must be swaddled and then down. And then again, as I said, wait those five minutes until they've passed through. And that, if you're following that, that should end up in a situation where you actually have your little one going to sleep by six or seven in the evening quite comfortably.
0: That sounds so good. And then you've actually got time for you and hubby. Brilliant. Now, what about rocking or driving? I know you mentioned popping them in the carrier, but the first thing is to instantly rock them when they're crying. Is that a no-no? Um, Well, so first of all, there's a couple of things that I want to
1: mention here. So firstly, you can't spoil a newborn baby. So, you know, you you are going to have those Mm -hmm. people who say to you, you know, don't rock your baby, don't hold your baby. You're going to spoil them. You're creating a rod for your own back. I don't know the crazy things that people say. Oh my gosh. But you you really can't (laughs) spoil a newborn baby. And newborns need a lot of love and comfort on an emotional level, but also on a physical and contact level, on a Mm. sensory level. And so there's nothing wrong with a rocking to sleep scenario or popping them on. Against your body, nothing wrong with that. Later on towards 12 weeks, we start to move them out of that. And so we start to aim to get them down without doing that. But a lot of little babies in the early days are actually contact sleeping and, and against their moms. So that's not the end of the world. But as they're approaching kind of 10 to 12 weeks, you're gonna start to put them down swaddled, try and aim high, comfort them with your hands on them lying down rather than the rocking or swaddling, the rocking or, or, or you know, the, the rocking or holding. Having said that, as I mentioned just now, is that if your little one is very susceptible to overstimulation, sometimes they become more overstimulated when you're carrying them around and rocking them. And in that case, it actually would be better to have them lying down. And so then you give them your comfort while they lie down. So, you know, you can try it both ways. One of the reasons why driving works so well is that it has got the vestibular input, that movement input that rocking has, but it also has the white noise Mm. and of the background, the car noise. And it's the same with the washing machine in the background or whatever else works for for babies. And white noise is actually a great strategy to use with colicky babies. And you can use it in one of two ways. The one is that you can have it on in the background at a very, very low volume. So no higher than 70 decibels. So just a speaking voice on in the background in the nursery. And it often helps little ones to fall asleep quicker and to calm a lot better because it's like the sounds that they heard in the womb world. So using yeah. white noise is really, really a good strategy. What also does work, and you can go and see these on TikTok and on Instagram and Facebook and so on, where where people have shared videos of playing white noise very loud. So like a, a hairdryer in the room, which is much more than you know 70 decibels and the baby who's screaming shuts up and actually goes to sleep and that certainly does happen where very loud noise actually kind of stops the crying and then little ones settle down to sleep so you can try that as well it wouldn't be a strategy I would try you know every night and long term um, but it is a strategy you can try if your little one is really very very fussy so yeah in a nutshell no major problems with rocking as long as you're not overstimulating them likewise with driving but having said that as they approach that 10 to 12 week period we do want them to start to be setting up the sleep expectations that they'll have longer term, which means that they'll be lying down.
0: Finally, 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 colic has been demystified. Why it happens, when it happens and how to prevent it from our very own baby expert, Meg. Thank you so much for today. I know so many people that are going to find this episode incredibly priceless and useful. So thank you so, so much. Thanks, Bailey. It's been really super connecting today. Don't forget to join Sense by make Flora again next week for more Parenting with Sets. Thanks again, Meg. Cheers, Bailey. Bye. Thanks to everyone who joined us. We will see you the same time next week. Until then, download ParentSense app and take the guesswork out of parenting.